Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 255 of At Odds with Wrestling. Joe and Adam here. Adam, hello. How are you? I'm doing fine, Joe. Just another week rubbing elbows with other fellow ECW originals. Oh, my goodness. Well, I could split hairs and say, <laughs> you know, Foley was there 94, 95. Your training was there. So you're just counting anyone that was there before Vince bought it as an ECW original, correct? Exactly. Like anybody that was there before the company made money. Okay. That, that's so, how you become an original. So technically, if we're looking at like the, ni- the, the late 92, early 93 years, we have to include such luminaries as Jim Snuka, Don <laughs> Morocco, Tito Santana... Terry Taylor, mm-hmm. Jim Neidhart, the British Bulldog, King Kong Bundy. They walked uh, in ECW so I can run. Right. And then you get like <laughs> the Tri-State Wrestling Alliance guys like your DC Drakes and your uh, Jimmy Janettis. Maybe more on that name later. Not Jimmy, but um, but yes, I will. Listen, I when you said last week that you were going, um, either I forgot or it was a period of time where you were no longer in the chat, or whatever it was. Um, but I was very jealous of you getting a chance to go meet Mick Foley and get the uh, fig signed. Well, uh, like I mentioned last week, I feel like uh, it's been like six months since I bought the ticket. So right. I mentioned it way back then, but I don't think it's ever come up since then. Mm-hmm. You know, like I bought the ticket for the meet and greet, like which is like a photo and three autographs. And then I went and bought the three pack of figures and then like five months went by. So like there's been no thought of it since then. But uh, yeah, so what was it? This past Sunday at Pandora's Box in uh, Lafayette, New Jersey, which is like about an hour 20 from me. Right. Uh, Maybe a little bit less for you. I'm not sure. But um, so before you get into the meeting of Foley, let me ask, let me conduct the interview here. Oh, Trip out was okay. Line was okay. Any issues with any of the people outside? Any fun <laughs> stories there? Uh, I mean, the, the trip is fine because it, it is really just, a uh, like a, not a turnpike, but like a, like a, like a highway road straight down, no traffic, you know, a little bit of country roads when you get close to it. Cause it really is out in the middle of nowhere. Like when you, you hear New Jersey, you think like, you know, this shithole state and it is, but like, this was like a passable part of New Jersey where like there isn't, you know, smelting factories all over the place and train yards. Like there's actually grass and blue skies. Um, so it's an easy path to get there. No traffic. And I try to make it there to any of these because this is the second time I went to one. I went for Gargano. Uh, I know that a bunch. Sorry of, about that. <laughs> hey, it was pleasant to me. Um, a bunch of the Pod Boys went for Mister Hitman, which I do regret not going to. But if the meet and greet was at noon, I like to get there an hour early just to kind of assess the line because if I get there at eleven and there's like two hundred people in line, I'm like, oh shit, I got to jump in line. But I got there at eleven. There was maybe, I don't know, 20 people in the VIP line because they have two lines. They have one for the VIPs, which is where you buy the the photo and all the autographs. And then there's like a general line where you just want something. You want a picture, you want an autograph, whatever. So there's maybe like 20-something people in the VIP line. So I'm like, okay, I'm just going to grab a coffee because there's a Dunkin' there. I'm going to like go sit in my car, smoke, whatever. Uh, So I didn't really jump in line until maybe – 11 20 11 25 
And then Mick actually showed up a little early and started to do the the meet and greet like early, like a half hour, 20 minutes early. But the line was fine. Like there was nothing that I don't have any good stories about anybody in the line. Um, it's funny because like literally everybody except for me, like that you can see holding what they're going to get signed. Like it was just Funko Pops for days. Like everybody oh, had. Yeah? Everybody had the the three different Funkos, like the Cactus, the Mankind, and the Dude Love Funkos. There was one dude who had some classic superstars uh, figures, but for the most part, it was just Funkos for days. Yeah, well, you know, that's the more recent three-pack of stuff, so that kind of makes sense, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, it did not take very long to get inside. Um you know, I'm, I'm kind of in the, by all means, stop me at any point uh, if you have questions. But I, I did ponder the question on Twitter as I was standing in line. I'm like, oh, shit, do I do the cheap pop thumbs up or do I do the finger guns, cactus shack, bang, bang? And I think it was like 60, 40 finger guns on the Twitter poll. But as I'm getting inside the building, because they let a few people in at a time, he would take a picture with people, you know, as Mick. And then he had the the mankind mask next to him with like the hair attached to it. And he's like, "Oh, bonus picture because you guys paid so much to be here." So he was doing both of them. I was like, "Sweet, I don't have to decide." So I was able oh, that's to get cool. one each. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing, you know. And obviously, not to cut you off there with the story, yep. but uh, you know, Pandora's box. This is not their first rodeo with having someone here. So I'm glad it sounds like these things were planned very well, right? Yeah, they do very well with like keeping it organized and keeping it moving and that kind of stuff. And mix a pro gets there early, you know, gives a little bit extra. And you don't really hear that from most people, you know, for a variety of reasons. You know, there's people that come in, they do a a hair above the bare minimum and they're there. Like if they're supposed to be there from noon to two, they get there at 1159 and they leave at 201, you know? Yeah. And he was scheduled to do noon to three, according to the flyer. And I feel like I saw like a video that Pandora's box put out on their socials of Mick, like thanking people, you know, afterwards. And he says in the video that he was there for like four and a half hours. Right. So he must have stayed later, if, you know, whatever the line was sustained it, you know, again, a true pro. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I'm just kind of eavesdropping like the conversations that the people in front of me had with him. And he was, you know, much like Gargano, like he would sit there and talk to you for as long as you wanted. So people were like asking a bunch of questions. And it's funny, I will mention two things that like somebody in front of me mentioned. There was two kids and I say kids, they were probably like 17 or 16. And one of them asked, like, what's your what do you think your best match is? And he's like, obviously, the most famous is the hell in the cell. But he's like, my best match, like where I actually like did the best wrestling was against Randy Orton at Backlash. Okay. So in case you're ever wondering what Mick's uh, favorite match of his ever is. uh, And then there's a a funny thing. There was uh, a blind lady and it wasn't funny that she was blind, but I'm just (laughs) let me say this. Oh, boy. Come on. Uh, Like like an older lady that was blind and, you know, she had somebody helping her go up there and she's talking to Mick and says that she just went blind over the last. I don't know, 15 years or so. And she was a big fan. And Mick was like, Oh, it's just, it's a shame. I got really, really handsome over the last 10 <laughs> years. You're never going to see it. As soon as you said that, I'm like, I, cause listen, Foley's got this, you know, I, I knew the line, but that's fantastic yeah. that he said that. Yeah. Um, and, and I've said this before, when I go to meet and greets, I'm not like, uh, like, I'm not going to ask a bunch of questions. 
I'm not like a gush over somebody and be like, you kept me out of gangs type of guy. Uh, you know, I, I just want to be like you and Sunil. <laughs> yeah. I just want to be like, Hey, big fan, really nice to meet you. And that's how I started off with, with Mick when it came out to my turn. And I will say this, this, I plopped down the Jack's, uh, three pack of like the, that has the dude love and cactus and mankind in it. And, the first thing Mick says is he looks at one of the handlers, the guy that's taking the pictures. He says, I don't want to blow up this guy's spot, but did he pay for three signatures? And I'm like, and the guy's like, yeah, Mick, all these people that are in the first line are like, got the, the VIP package. So I, I said to Mick, I was like, do I look like somebody that would try to pull something over on you, Mick? And he's like, <laughs> <laughs> he paused. He's like, uh, no, no, you're okay. <laughs> you know, if you were wearing the purple jacket, he might have said something different. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no broski attire for this. But um, as soon as I put that in front of him, though, uh, and I wish we recorded a, like a special Mick Foley centric podcast right after this happened, because then we could have been scooping and booping the major pod. Right. Because as soon as I put down that three pack in front of him, he was talking about how much he loves signing that three pack. And how mad he was that the ringside exclusive figures were not in a three pack, that they were just three separate boxes. And then he, when he found out about that, he was heartbroken. Yeah. Well, listen, yeah, if, if you have something that you feel is scoop and boop worthy, I'm telling <laughs> you, you don't need my permission. That sounds like Patreon exclusive breaking news. Yeah, no, I know. Um, so, you know, he's signing that. And I said to him, I was like, yeah, I honestly, when they announced those figures uh, for a moment, I was like, oh, man, I wish these were out in time for the signing. And then I got relieved when I found out that they were three separate boxes. So, you know, happy to get that three pack signed. And I was I posted it on social media so you can see what it looks like. It comes out great. And, you know, if anybody's ever seen like he posts videos of him doing the signatures later. There are three completely different signatures. He knows what paint pens he wants to use. He does the little red heart on the dude love signature. Um, so he's signing the three of them. He's taking his time. And like I said, I don't, I'm not like talking his ear off cause we talked about the figures and you know, whatever. I just want to get my picture and, and, you know, say thanks or whatever. So he signs the box and then he, he slides it over towards me and then he takes it back for a second. He's like, you know what? And I think he was talking about the dude love one. He's like, I think this would look better with, and I forget what color he said. He's like, if you want to have one of those guys erase it, I'll redo it in that color. And I'm just like, no, nah, it looks great, Mick. Thank you. I was like, no need. I, was, I, I don't even know what color he was suggesting because I think the dude love one looks awesome. But, you know, I don't want to go through the trouble of having it get like, go find hand sanitizer, remove it, dry it, go through now all you're, that. Yeah, now you're holding up the line even more. Yeah, or having it come back in. you did, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like, if somehow his hand smeared it or something like that, then sure, I'm going to go through the effort. But it was fine. So he, he hands he me. Did pur- he did purple. I, I pulled up the picture here. He did purple. Yep. And listen, I'm splitting hairs. I would have done blue, but the purple looks great. Yeah, and it looks better in person where you can kind of see the depth, you know, between the signature and the figures. You know, when you're looking in the picture, it's not as good. Sure. But it looks fine. It's detolf worthy. But, you know, he slides that over to me, and then we take the picture, you know, the, the thumbs up picture. And then he's like, all right, see you later. And then I'm like, kind of like, can, can I get the mankind picture? <laughs> And like he almost completely forgot, you know, because yeah. he was thinking of erasing the, the the signature. So then I got the mankind picture. So I was a little worried that I had to like ask for that, but 
Um, but yeah, then I got up. I, I basically I walked the figure out to the car and then I came back in the store and I was going to walk around and shop for a little bit. But it was a scorcher outside, and I have no idea if this is justified or not, but I, for whatever reason, I had it in my head that maybe, like, a wet paint pen shouldn't be sitting in a 100-degree car. So I was getting – I was like, maybe that's good for it. Maybe that dries it faster. I don't know. But I was like, I don't want to risk it. So I just jumped in the car, turned on the AC, and, like, went home. You know, I didn't, I didn't stay yeah. in shop because for whatever reason, I just I was like, I can't ruin this signature. You know, right. It needs to get to a climate controlled location ASAP. Yeah, because I had it like obviously it's a box set of figures. I had it inside of another larger box where nothing was touching the signatures. And then I slid that larger box inside of like a trash bag type of thing and and pulled it shut. So there's no like dust on it or or whatever. But I'm like, I don't want it sitting in a 100-degree car. So I'm like, let me turn on the AC. Let me drive home. You know, just kind of preserve that. Because I figured if there was something that I saw at Pandora's box, it would have been an impulse purchase anyways. And I'm like, I don't need that, you know? Yeah. But overall, like, it was a blast. Like, Pandora's box, uh, they do great signings. Um, I always keep an eye at the the listing. And uh, I would go again. I said this last time with little Johnny. But, uh, you know, after Mick, you know, a much bigger line. Uh definitely worth the time mm-hmm. i'll have to think about that for next time you know yeah no 100 hopefully mick will be back i missed out you didn't ask him about young ed though you didn't bring that up <laughs> no i didn't ask him about that no i didn't want to make him upset he was already upset with me because he didn't think i paid for all three signatures oh my goodness <laughs> I, I will say this so it, like obviously it would have been a pain in the ass because even if i did go with you i wasn't getting the three signatures i would have only been getting the one signature so i would have been in the pores line and then you would have had to wait for me anyway yeah you're you were probably because when i left to to put my figure back in the car yeah there was maybe and i'm just ballparking here like maybe 70 or 60 people in the vip line still yeah yeah you know and because again i got there early so there's maybe like 15 20 people in front of me it did move quick but yeah you would have had to wait for the entire vip line to clear through and anybody else who shows up that was a vip would automatically get in before the general admission right right yeah so it was for the best i need to i need to do these things with pores i'm not a millionaire like you (laughs) i'm a fancy gentleman i know and it kind of works out because, like, even as you're telling this story, I'm like, oh, I I would have totally like I would have totally been a dipstick. I totally would have like said a bunch of stupid stuff to Mick, and I to- <laughs> totally would have like ruined the experience. Had a horrible story to tell. I just know me. Like Mick is like, if not my all time favorite guy, definitely up there, depending on the day. Yeah, and yeah, it's it's for the best. Yeah, and like I said, I had a great time. I'm that figure is automatically or that three pack of figures automatically one of my favorite you know wrestling items so uh i already have a a case picked out that's on ebay and it's gonna unfortunately there's an entire shelf of azrael that's gonna have to be cleared out to make room in the detolfs good (laughs) but uh yeah it'll be front and center detolf worthy awesome all right well thanks for sharing your story with us adam absolutely All right, so let's get to the regular show. How about that? Let's do it. And now, At Odds with Wrestling presents This Day in Wrestling History. 
All right. This day in wrestling history. On this day in wrestling history, 27 years ago. I hope everyone feels old. Mm. World World Championship Wrestling held the pay-per-view Hogwild. The inaugural Hogwild, when they would later change it to Roadwild. Uh, from beautiful um, Sturgis Bike Week in Sturgis, North Dakota. Free attendance, uh, so a $0 gate. Uh, we are in the midst of the hottest period in World Championship Wrestling. Uh, the NWO has just started. And this is a pretty stacked card, to say the least. Um, and now, uh, as I have the card here on the screen, Adam, I'm not going to read the entire card. Um, but the Medusa versus Bull Nakano match, do you remember what the stipulation of that match was? I don't. The winner gets to smash the motorcycle of the loser. All right. Were Medusa and Bull Nakano notorious motorcycle enthusiasts? No, but, you know, it's at Bike Week. Medusa rode out on, like, a Harley. Bull Nakano came out, like, on a Japanese motorcycle to get heat. Sure. Of course. So that was the bike that got destroyed because Medusa wins this match. Um, They did a Chris Benoit versus Dean Malenko singles match that goes to a time limit draw and then gets the five more minutes. And this was very much the wrong crowd for this match to be taking place in front of. I can imagine. Was this one of those where like people were sitting on their motorcycles and revving them in lieu of cheers? Yes. Okay. I always said I like that visual. Like it's a unique that audito- like the audible sensation of that. Like it's just unique. Yes. Uh, but yeah, I can imagine that they're not uh, fans of catch as catch can technical wrestling <laughs> right the the uh the the japanese style uh with an american twist on it not uh the rednecks and hillbillies that were here for bike week uh another match for completely different reasons uh definitely in front of the wrong crowd was the steiner brothers versus harlem heat i feel but like you... i know who the heels to the crowd were oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> uh and of course in our main event we have defending the WCW World Championship, the Giant, taking on Hollywood Hulk Hogan. Hogan okay. wins, and then after the match, we get one of the most iconic moments in all of professional wrestling. Bar not. Something that is still emulated and copied to this very day. What do they have? Oh, that's spray paint. Oh my God! They're going to spray paint. Gonna... I cannot believe this. This is unbelievable. Somebody, somebody needs this is to go in my stomach oh, right now. They are spray. They are spray painted. Tony, the WO logo. Tony, forget what they're doing. The is the only way to go. And what you gotta do? This is scary. Watch this. The NWO in the most visual moment. They suck at the booty man to bring in the ant and the kid. They had blatantly attacked him. There's a message been sent out to Ric Flair. Apparently Hogan and Ric Flair will do battle at the Clash of the Champions this Thursday live on TBS in Denver. And the giant laid out. Now they mentioned the uh, upcoming Clash of the Champions with Hogan versus Flair. Mm-hmm. And I may just watch that one this week for my own viewing pleasure because this is the first Flair Hogan match that they ever do where the roles are reversed. And it's like 
Flair as the wild baby face and Hogan as the chicken shit heel. Okay. That that does sound interesting, yeah. Yes, but yeah, but, Hogan spray painting the belt. Uh like now that I'm thinking about it, and obviously you said much copied, we have Pepsi Phil with his real world championship. Who else notably spray painted belts? Okay, so you have all the other times that like they would do it multiple times when the NWO would win it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't. They spray paint the belt when Tony Storm won it with the Outcasts uh, spray paint colors. If they did, it was gone by the next week. Right, it was probably gone by the next week, but they still did it. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, just very iconic, very influential. What did uh, did Hogan spray paint across any crucial letters on the WCW belt? Oh my goodness, he certainly did. He uh, uh, spray painted across the E in uh, Championship Wrestling. <laughs> Even back then, there was a just say no to the elite. Exactly. All right. All right. So, uh, also on this day in wrestling history, twenty five years ago, we have our head to head Monday Nitro versus Monday Night Raw. Both shows are live. Uh, Nitro is taking place from Rapid City, South Dakota. And I want to just say this, okay? There was a period of time pre-pandemic, and there was drips and drabs since they've gone back to live touring, that AEW was hitting a lot of the oddball spots that WWF never hit. Like, Mm -hmm. they had a TV taping that was scheduled in, like, Arizona. And, you know all these other crazy places like the Dakotas places that typically did not these days get WWF TV. Right. And then obviously the pandemic changed that, but that was one of the things that WCW had over WWF, especially during this time frame, is that even when WCW was starting to go on the downturn, they would go to one of those towns that was just underserved by WWF and they would just draw like a huge raucous crowd. Yeah, because WWF at this, well, I mean, with no competition, they're like, we're just going to hit the big cities that will fill the venues, and you don't like it, fucking watch things on the cock. Exactly. Uh, So, again, I know you're going to be surprised by this. Uh, No clips, sadly, for this Nitro. Um, A, you know, another three-hour Nitro, another show just jammed up with a bunch of, like, garbage, you know, um, you're getting matches like Horace versus Raven, like the Raven, Raven's flock is still feuding with itself, right? Mm-hmm. But then, like, you're also getting, like, Steve McMichael versus Sick Boy. <laughs> uh, Lex Luger beats Mr. Hitman for the U.S. title. Oh, that's a shame. That is a shame. Now, the only thing is, and again, unfortunately, no clips came up from this so you're just gonna have to go by my explanation of this and you're just gonna have to trust me on this because this is exactly how it happens okay (laughs) all right so it's advertised that stevie ray is going to be defending the wcw television title against chavo guerrero jr chavo gets laid out backstage by jericho who just the week before had lost the juicer weight title to uh juventud guerrero mr juice himself right Mm-hmm. So, uh, Jericho lays out Chavo, takes Chavo's place in the match. It's now heel versus heel, because uh, Stevie Ray is a heel. Uh, ref gets bumped. The Giant, I'm sorry, <clears throat> the <laughs> Giant, who is <laughs> in you. NW Hollywood, 
does a run-in to help Chris Jericho win the TV title from Stevie Ray. Okay. Two weeks later, Stevie Ray joins NWO Hollywood. Makes perfect sense. Right. <laughs> the, the thing with Giant helping Jericho never gets followed up on, and the thing with Giant costing Stevie Ray the TV title, and then Stevie Ray joining up with him two weeks later is never touched on either. It was never like Stevie Ray in a throwaway thing saying, if, he, if I can't beat the NWO, I might as well join him, or... Well, so, okay, so, again, we're getting a couple weeks ahead of ourselves, but essentially what happens is Brett is feuding with Booker T during this time frame. Brett calls out Booker T. Booker T is laid out backstage. Uh, The way that it's shot, it's very clear that we're supposed to think that Stevie Ray beat up Booker T. Book Stevie Ray then comes out and accuses Bret Hart and the NWO. Now, bear in mind, side note, Bret Hart, not officially a member of the NWO during this period, even though he wears the NWO Hulk Hogan shirts, he never wears like a regular NWO shirt. Mm-hmm. He's called on TV by the announcers, the head recruiter for Hulk Hogan. <laughs> Again, WCW really used Bret Hart well. So Stevie Ray comes in, accuses Brett and the NWO of laying out Booker T. The rest of the NWO come in, ask Stevie Ray to join up with them, and Stevie Ray just joins up with them. Okay. That's, yeah. Right. (laughs) So that's what's Uh, going on over on Nitro, okay? Yeah. Over on Raw, things are hot, things are heavy. It's taking place in Omaha, Nebraska. You know, we got big stuff going on with DX. I don't know, Adam, if you remember this, this is the infamous DX split segment. Uh, I mean, you'd have to be more specific. I don't know exactly. Yeah. Okay. I didn't want to pull clips for this because the whole thing is very visual. Okay. Mm -hmm. So as we had mentioned several weeks leading up to this, there had been matches on TV pitting either in one-on-one matches against each other or as part of like triple threat for uh, four corner matches, X-Pac and Triple H were wrestling each other. And it was all to determine who the number one contender for uh, the Intercontinental Championship was. Things have gotten heated. And as we went off the air last week, it was looking as though DX was going to break up. Okay. So the show starts off with, there's going to be tonight, are we going to see the DX split? Okay. Okay. Yep. So all the members of DX all arrive separately. The Outlaws together, China by herself, uh, X-Pac by himself, Triple H by himself. So, Adam, I know you're going to be surprised by this. Was was it a swerve? It's a double swerve. So... (gasps) They come out, and they're bickering with each other, and the DX split is that they're teasing that they're going to now moon the crowd, but before they get a chance to, China moons the crowd. Oh, this is the type of thing that's not on our rundown sheets. There are swerves, and there are swerves, and this is a swerve. This is a swerve, (laughs) but two bigger things happen. Let's say that's... the. The stuff with Kane and Mankind and Undertaker and Steve Austin and Collusion or Kane and Undertaker working together. That's your A story, right? 
Mm-hmm. DX, that's your B, B-plus story, okay? Let's talk about your C, C and C-plus stories, right? So as we went off the air last week, Taka had turned on Val Venus. Kai and Tai had beaten him up, drug him backstage. And for the last two weeks, Yamaguchi-san has threatened, I choppy choppy you pee-pee. And right as about the as the sword was about to come down on uh, the big Valboski, the lights went out. The lights went out. <laughs> Spawn so, Val Venus. And then let's see what happened here. Jerry Lawler will conduct this joint press conference. Mm. Joint, joint press conference, right? Now, there's the man. Hang on, I'm gonna pause. This for a second. I'm sorry. Okay. So it's a six-minute segment. We're not gonna play the whole thing, right? All right. The the joke is joint, right? It's a joint pe- press conference. Val comes out dressed in his street clothes, holding an ice pack over his dick. Okay. <laughs> yep. He's accompanied to the ring by Mrs. Yamaguchi-san. Yeah. And world famous spousal abuser John Wayne Bobbitt. There's a sign in the crowd that says Val Venus no penis. (laughs) Now again, we're not going to play the whole segment, but we're going to play most of it. Famous for having one of the most dastardly deeds done to him ever in history. I'm talking about Mr. John Wayne Bobbitt right here with us tonight. And, And Val... I was going to ask you, are you still hanging in there? But you're going to have to tell us yourself. Hello, ladies. Poor guy. Somber. (laughs) You know, tonight, I come to you a a humble man. Get a real dick. Half the man. Somebody else get a real dick. (laughs) (laughs) I had to pause it because I was going to say that. Get a real dick. <laughs> oh my God. All right. Oh, okay. Whew. That I used to be. But you know, it's like they say, you live by the sword and you die by the sword. Val is doing a very bad job acting here. You know, there's only, <laughs> there's only one way to stop the mighty boa. And that's to sever it at the head. Well, ladies, you better take a a rain check on them new snakeskin boots. This is hard. This is a horrible because, segment. Because the big Balboski is alive and ready Whoa. to fight, baby. Rips his pants on, <laughs> but he can't get them off all the way. Balboski yeah. lives. Well, apparently. <laughs> all right. You can apparently, do it, buddy. Yamaguchi son did not get the job done. Val. Exactly. 
What happened last week when the lights went out? Well, you know something? Thanks to a cold butcher's block <laughs> and a little shrinkage and, of course, my good friend, John Wayne Bobbitt, who just happened to cut the lights just at the appropriate time. The big Valbowski is standing at full attention, cocked, rock, and ready to unload. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I have to take my glasses off for this. <laughs> so if we're to believe what we're being told here, John Wayne Bob, it just happened to be in the town last weekend. And yeah, just well, they're, happened, they're good friends. Good friends just happen because, again, two weeks prior... His someone's gonna get their dick cut off signal went off. <laughs> so again, he was there to prevent it from happening. Um, him and Val Venus are good friends. They are both porn stars, allegedly, allegedly. And the butcher's block was so cold. Now, again, I don't know if butcher blocks are cold. Again, I'm not splitting hairs here, but it was so cold that it caused Val, who in canon in storyline is supposed to have a giant penis. Mm-hmm. Had it turtle up into his body enough that a they could not a shower, right? <laughs> Listen, that that was one of my biggest things about the Valvinus character, right? You know the way the gear is set up. You know the 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 purple with the silver in the front. It's supposed to be a V. It's supposed to draw your eyes to it. I remember the article that Vic Venom wrote in mm-hmm. the Raw magazine about it. But if the guy is supposed to be a porno man. He should have, like, a giant bulge in his pants. And, like, that should have been the gimmick, right? Well, I was about to say maybe that's even a little bit too much for Attitude Era. But, like, Sean used to stuff the front of his pants. Right. So, again, listen, I'm not playing the whole segment. But we get a scintillating uh, discussion with John Wayne Bobbitt, who is Mr. Electricity on the microphone. (laughs) And Val Venus, the baby face in this, question mark? ends up dumping Yamaguchi-san's wife and tells her to, like, hit the bricks, gives her a double-A battery, and that's the last we ever see of her. And quite possibly the start of the decline of Val Venus's character, because it's like, yeah, come on. This was a character that had, like, a shelf life, and this was it. Yeah. <sighs> but, but he burned bright, though. I'll say that, because yes. everybody remembers this, you know? Yeah, the, the, hell yeah. The introductory vignettes and this. Yeah. And again, so like this is like a good four month run. <laughs> he could have retired off this and just done conventions and, you know, went away and not do what he's doing now. Listen to the stink sheet for your spotlight on Valve Venus weekly, you know? Yeah. But a little bit, I'm a little upset that uh, I have not gotten a detailed breakdown of where uh, Mrs. Yamaguchi is from Kevin Hellions yet. Listen, he had a busy week. We'll get to it with his phone call, right? All right. But of all this other stuff that happened on this episode of Raw, okay? Something monumental happened on Raw. A change. Something <laughs> something different. Something unique. Something that happened for the very first time. That would go on to still feel ramifications in the world of big-time sports and entertainment to this very day. Adam, are you ready? I feel like you might be overselling it, but go ahead. I don't oversell anything. <laughs> Cross! Whoa! Cross! Fresh to the brawl for all victory! It's coming out to help! Animal! Oh, what a run! Hey! Out! And do the snide right in front of us! 
Oh, who's this? What's he got? <gasps> guitar. guitar. What's it say on that guitar? Don't piss me off. Oh, yeah, look at it. It just cracked the skull of Ross. Did you see what that guitar said? Yeah. Don't piss me off, but I think he did. Oh, so it's the debut of the don't piss me off, or if you had the doll, don't make me mad act, uh, catchphrase of Double J. But this is the first time that he El Kabonged someone. Like ever? Yes. Oh, shit. Like, I would have figured that he would have done that when he was the country music star or something like that. No, the, the closest that he came was when he left at the In Your House after he lost to Sean and he came back at that Royal Rumble to start the feud with Ahmet or at the, the December In Your House in 95. He had a gold record and he smashed the gold record over Ahmed's head. But he never brought like a guitar or any instruments out with him as a country music superstar. This is the first ever Double J lighting somebody up with a guitar. You know what? I take it back. This is historic. And again, 25 years. Broke a million guitars. Never drew a dime. Who won that rivalry, huh? Who's above <laughs> ground today? Huh? Not only above ground, but like thriving. Thriving. He's going to main event the pre-show of the biggest show in AEW history. <laughs> yeah, I've come around on Jeff Jarrett. It's okay. I, I All of have. And I yeah. love it. More the merrier. Come on. <laughs> I had somebody message me just the other day. Remain nameless. And they had said to me, where's the uh, exact message? I, I want to make sure that I get things right. Uh, I, I just want to point out to you that both Double J and L.A. Knight are darlings of the Internet. How does it feel to be a tastemaker? And I say <laughs> I am no tastemaker. I like what I like. You choose to come along with me or you choose to like bad things. That's all there is to it. <laughs> well, nah, I, well, uh, perhaps more on one of them later as we go into the show. But I can't mm -hmm. argue when you're right, you know? All right, listen. So what do you got to talk about from the last week, my good man? All right. I'm not going to steal your thunder, but I am going to start with Summerfest. All right. Which was this past Saturday. And I'm just going to say, regarding the main event, which I did not watch the pay-per-view. I feel like I got enough through social media and uh, the, the highlights on Monday you know, before Raw. But for the Roman versus Jey Uso match, Jimmy turning on Jay turning heel on his brother, Roman winning again, I will say that I am officially out on caring about the bloodline. Uh, not because specifically for this decision, but I feel like we're going around and around and around in circles. And maybe we've been doing it for a while, and I've just been blind to it because I have been a fan of the storyline. And I will concede that Roman... He's on a God run, and he may be the greatest WWE world champion as far as sports entertainers go, but I'm officially bored with all of this, and it'll no longer be something that I'm going to, like, while I'm fast-forwarding through Raw and SmackDown, normally I'll stop on the Bloodline stuff, but at this point, I'm just like, all right, I'm done. If this is cinema, this is, like, Marvel's Eternals cinema, uh, I'm, I'm bored as hell, so I'm done with the Bloodline stuff. And I just wanted to go on record. So I was kind of checked out a little bit before this. Um, 
I'm going to say I didn't watch the main event. Um, I think a lot of people me turn coming mm. if they cared. Um, but the fact that the bloodline stuff is so insulary in that I mean, like, yes, it's cinema, if that's what you want to believe, that it's been this th- big three-year-long-plus storyline that's just, like, woven in and out of world wrestling entertainment. And I liked it better when it wove in and out of world wrestling entertainment instead of just focusing on these five people all the time. Yep. It needs fresh faces. It needs new blood. Not the same five faces changing allegiances every month. No, I, I and if you believe. For, oh, sorry. Go ahead. And if you believe Paul Heyman, we're only an inning three. If this is a baseball game, I don't know what sort of analogy Paul's going for there. Um, yeah. But. And it's no, it's no knock on any of these four guys. I think Roman's great. I think the Usos are great. I think Solo's great. But if they're just wrestling each other all the time and interacting with each other all the time, I want to see something different. I want to see Solo interact with whomever. And listen, they were doing this stuff up to WrestleMania. And then once WrestleMania happened and Roman beat Cody... It just for like what the last like five months, it's just been all bloodline infighting stuff, and I don't care. Yeah, and I feel like no matter what promo you give to any one of them, we've heard eighty percent of it before. It's just being mad libbed with who's fighting who. For sure, and like you could you can do the most captivating promo on the planet, but if it's just those four people, those five people, over and over and over again, it's like I'm just done. And maybe it's. Maybe it's just the the still the hangover from you know not getting what we wanted from Sammy you know whatever but or the people out there that wanted Cody to win shout out Mr Tim but I don't know and like I, I honestly believe that the person who's going to eventually beat Roman probably isn't in the WWE yet you know whether it means it's an outside signing or somebody from NXT or somebody that they haven't you know I, I'm alluding to the fact that we might be years away and I'm fine with that but I don't want years of bloodline infighting because what happens when roman takes care of uh jay uso and then we do two months of him fighting solo and i do disagree with uh uh with final wrestling place i do not think solo is the guy that's going to beat roman oh my but, god but like there's going to be a feud between roman and solo you know it's going to happen and then solo is going to unite the usos again and then they're all going to go after roman and i i'm just not here for it anymore so I will say we do have a little bit of a detour, a little bit of a reprieve uh, coming up once we get to the build for Survivor Series because it's not going to be for the title, but we are d- definitely going to get champion versus champion, Seth versus Roman, but I don't care about Seth. Yeah. It'll be something different, and I'll say this. I've worked myself into shoots before, and this is less of a working myself into a shoot I'm I'm almost I would bet money if somebody pointed me in the direction where you could lay down money, I would bet that Cody beats Roman next year at WrestleMania. Yeah, I mean possibly. I still li- like the idea of it they're gonna go how many how many more years do we have until he passes uh what, Bruno? It's a while. Like five years or I, I mean think- five years total and he has two more or something like that. 
I know they always they they play fast and loose with Bruno because they like kind of sometimes combine his two reigns, you know. Mm-hmm. But as far as Roman against Seth, I mean, I could see even like uh, Solo interferes and almost costs Roman the match, and then hey, Jay Uso shows up and costs Roman the match, and Seth wins, but it's because of outside interference and nothing gets gets accomplished and whatever, yada yada. Not here for it anymore. Right. So, what do you have? Uh, Joe? You know, I was I was looking up the Bruno thing, oh, right? Okay. Yeah. So Bruno's first reign go is eight years. Uh, well, seven and a half. Let's say it's uh it's May of sixty three to January of seventy one, and then his second reign is uh three and a half years so he's definitely going to beat roman or bruno's second reign but he ain't beating the first one they ain't keeping that goddamn belt on roman for eight years <laughs> all right i felt like I, I don't know why i had five years stuck in my head i'm probably thinking of something else yeah now i, I will say um you know you mentioned SummerSlam. i did not get a chance to watch SummerSlam live as it happened um i had a very busy uh saturday if you go listen to long box years after dark this week you can hear all about it i'm not going to bore you with the details of that uh, but I did get drunk. That's the most important thing. Um, and the second most important thing that happened that day was something huge, something monumental, something savage, some would say. And that was. I can play the whole song, but the Ascension is finally here. He gets the moment. On the big show, SummerSlam, one of the big four pay-per-views. He's in a marquee-sponsored match. He wins the Battle Royal. He comes out on Raw. He starts the program with Miz. He's the person who this time gets to be the one who breaks the the sanctity of the WWE draft. Hmm. Which is a very holy and honored thing, right? (laughs) Sure. And then I would even go as more importantly, when you're talking about a winner... Someone who's on a roll, someone who's at the top of their game. You want to have them sprinkle a little bit of their their dust on another some no, another thing that's on the up and come, the up and rise, you know. And I'm not talking about the Slim Jim commercial with him and Bianca. That was awesome. That was a blast. When anyone out there starts seeing the L.A. Knight branded Slim Jim stuffs, you give me a holler, grab me a cardboard standee, I'll make <laughs> good on it. But. <laughs> Saturday, he wins the, the Battle Royal at SummerSlam. Monday, he breaks the the draft by appearing on Raw. And then Tuesday, more importantly, he sprinkles some L.A. night dust on a real New York baseball team, throws out the opening pitch for the <laughs> New York Mets, and all is right with the world. You don't see him slumming with some other New York team. Is there even another baseball team in New York these days? Who even knows, right? I don't, I don't think so, to be honest right. with you. <laughs> If anyone would know it'd be you, you'd yeah. be talking about them every week if there was a New York baseball team other than the Mets, right? Correct. <laughs> but he, like, he's there for the on-sale date for WrestleMania tickets. I'm happy they're putting the rocket behind him. Now, I'll be the first one to say, um, as a, you know, L.A. Knight fan and, you know, one of the people that was leading the charge... I did get worried when he stumbled a bit on the promo on Raw. He did worry a little bit when he stumbled in the little promo video that was going out on WWE social media about the Mets thing. But WWE is behind him, man. Every day, there's a new 
like classic quote unquote classic a guy who's been under contract with them for less than two years classic la night moment that goes up on social media there's a new la night video that goes up on the 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 youtube page there's a new la night youtube short tiktok everything they are giving this guy the full push and i got faith man i'm happy Am I going to say I was a little worried about the Battle Royal? Maybe a little worried about the Battle Royal. You know, you you, you never want to put all your hopes in somebody when it comes to somebody in WWE. Because the one thing that WWE loves to do is screw you and smash you and crush your hopes and dreams as a fan. And I definitely think a lot of this has to do with Vince recovering from quadruple back surgery. Mm-hmm. Whatever the fuck is going on with Vince, right? Yeah. Um, and I think if Vince was alive or conscious or cognizant, I don't think that would have happened. But I'm going to enjoy the ride while it lasts. And you're all coming with me. <laughs> I obviously, like I said, I didn't watch SummerSlam, but I, I watched some clips on Twitter and I saw just the clip of him, L.A. Knight, eliminating the last person and listening to like one of the first non piped in ovations, like superstar ovations I've heard in WWE in forever. And when he does the L a night, yeah, point and just the entire crowd, uh, legitimately doing it with him, uh, I thought it was like a WrestleMania atmosphere with the amount of people bought into his win. And it was really impressive. And, uh, I just, like you said, I hope that when Vince is done pretending to be crippled, to get out of whatever issue he's in trouble with now. Uh, I hope he doesn't just yank the rug out from underneath him, you know? And listen, I'm I'm a realist. I'm not a crazy person. Maybe when it comes to some people, I am. We'll get to that momentarily. Um, do I think LA Knights can be the one that beats Roman? No, I'm not that crazy. Mm-hmm. Do I think LA Knight has a chance to get a match for the title that Seth has at WrestleMania? I certainly do. What are you? Obviously, you have you have him penciled in as obviously the next big thing. You know, he's the next main event guy. But would you be opposed to him getting a run with like Walter's Intercontinental title or the U.S. title or something just for a couple months to not not to like test him out? Because we already know what he's capable of and he's great on the mic and the crowd loves him. But just to give him a mid-card belt and see how the fans react to him as champion? Adam, did Jake the Snake Roberts need a belt? Oh, again, did Hacksaw Jim Duggan them, need a belt? You're pitching for them to be, him to be world champion. And I, I'm saying, well, let's let's meet you halfway first. I'm, I'm, I'm pitching for him to contend for the world title. <laughs> I think he's at a point where it happens so quickly and again, there's not a knock on Walter. There's not a knock on the U.S. title. I don't even know who the champion is for the U.S. title. Uh, but, oh, okay. I'd say L.A. Knight in a short amount of time has surpassed, at the very least, the U.S. title picture. And I don't know if he should be the one to dethrone Walter. I think it should be Sheamus or Gunther, whatever the fuck his name is, right? Mm-hmm. I think you could build it up to have it be Sheamus, and then if you want to have like L.A. Knight be the one who beats Sheamus, that's fine. But I don't think L.A. Knight needs to be the guy to break somebody's big long streak like that. And he's at a point where, like, in a blink of an eye, he got so over. I don't think he needs a title. 
contend for a title, be in the main event picture, have a match at a B pay-per-view against Roman, sure. Main event of WrestleMania against Seth for that title, absolutely. Win the title? Hey, maybe. My only concern, and this is just something that's popping into my head now, um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I feel like this is the first time in WWE that somebody is getting so massively over that wasn't supposed to since maybe Daniel Bryan and the yes movement, obviously. And okay. Like the yes movement eventually begrudgingly resulted in Daniel Bryan winning the WWE championship and like fans feeling validated that like, Hey, I did that. And this is our guy. And like, we put him in this position and we're being rewarded for it. If they get behind LA Knight like they have, and then he gets that shot at like Seth and then loses, and I'm not gonna say slides back down the card, but if you're not in the world title picture, you know, you're doing something else. You know, he goes down and fights somebody else that isn't the world champion. I'm worried that like then the fans would be like, either, well, fuck WWE, they're not listening to us, so I, I don't feel like cheering for him anymore, or all right, I'm going to move on to the next flavor of the month because my guy didn't win the big one. Okay. The fact that you brought up Daniel Bryan, because my first thought was going to be Broski. Okay. Because, and Broski was before Daniel Bryan. It was right around the same time, but Daniel Bryan is the, the thing that we're going to use. And Daniel Bryan was near the title picture. And Daniel Bryan was someone who was on TV positioned as a heel and the crowd was super into. But on numerous occasions, WWE did everything they could do to smash Daniel Bryan down, capped him off TV, gave other people his catchphrases, completely squashed him out on TV. And that just energized the people even more. And again, it's, you know, the, the confluence of things happening in the universe, if Punk doesn't leave WWE, the Yes movement and Daniel Bryan going to WrestleMania for the title does not happen. Mm -hmm. And the only reason they did it was because they were forced at that point because they had nobody in that upper, lower, mid-top-of-the-card kind of guy like Punk could easily be slotted into anymore. And now their big program was... Batista and Alberto Del Rio going to Batista versus Triple H at WrestleMania for the world title or Batista versus Randy Orton for the world title and they had to scramble because they lost Punk I obviously anything could happen in the world wrestling entertainment people could leave people could get hurt whatever it is and they tried to tamp down the LA Knight stuff but social media in 2023 is very different than the way social media was in 2000-whatever, right? Mm -hmm. And crowds are a little bit different now, too. And the pandemic kind of changed the crowds a little bit. If at this, like, let's say this week on SmackDown, LA Knight gets jumped backstage by The Miz and then is off TV for two weeks, okay? Mm -hmm. That ain't going to happen. But let's just say that does happen then you're going to either completely turn off a whole bunch of new fans 
or you're going to have to now double down if you're going to continue to push this guy. As long as they keep LA Knight's push strong and they don't play loosey-goosey with it, uh, this week we're going to have him look weak, and then next week we're not going to have him on TV, and then this week he's going to come out and have a an even match with, like, Hunico, right? <laughs> And okay. it's not a knock on Hunico, but Hunico's in a different position on the crowd. And again, I'm just throwing out names, right? But I, I'd like to think that right now they have the momentum. He's got the Slim Jim deal. They don't really, they they really can't fuck it up. And if they do, then they're cutting their nose off to spite their face. They got a homegrown star that they could take credit for. They could put out there, could do media, because Roman ain't going out and do media. Seth goes out with his stupid, goofy character, and you don't know what the fuck you're going to get out of him. L.A. Knight, and again, I know they did the program with them, but, like, L.A. Knight is now The Miz, where as long as they don't completely fuck him up, he'll just be over for the rest of his life. Okay. And you don't think that, like, losing a, a, a big world title match would damper that at all? If they fuck with this push on the way to the world title thing. Because we all sat here and thought, like, Cody losing at WrestleMania was going to kill Cody. Arguably, Cody is a more over and stronger babyface than he was going into WrestleMania. Okay. No, I get that. I, 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 and I agree with the Cody thing. Like, I feel like a lot of us felt like myself, I'll speak for myself, that Cody was being shoved down our throat and we were going to be forced with having Cody win the world title WrestleMania because it was predestined and, you know, he's going to finish the story. And when that didn't happen, you're like, all right, I kind of, I'll give Cody an extra point there. You know? Well, I'm not going to give Cody any points. I could just see, like, I, I thought the Cody fans, the little codesters were going to like lose interest because he didn't finish the story, but they kept Cody strong on TV they put him in the hot program at Brock. He was on TV every week. He was the guy that was doing the SmackDown dark matches. And they kept him strong. They didn't start de-pushing him. They didn't start putting him in weird programs. They didn't fuck with him like they've done with so many other guys in this position. From Broski to Daniel Bryan to anyone else that you could think of through the history of WWE. Where it seems like they're getting hot and then all of a sudden they're just de-pushed for no reason and no explanation. It's just like, then as a fan you just think there's something wrong with the guy that you like. Yeah. Ziggler pops into my mind. He was an Ziggler's a perfect for a while. Yeah. Right. Zig Ziggler is Ziggler is probably the closest then to what L.A. Knight is now. And as long as L.A. Knight can stay injury-free and not hurt anyone, he's golden. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anything else on that? No, I, listen, we talked about L.A. Knight for 20 minutes. Let's go. I know, I let you. <laughs> I'll be relatively quick on this. But again, contractual <laughs> obligation state that I have to talk about the MJF Adam Cole segments on Dynamite this week. And I'll just be quick. They had the vignette at the trampoline park. MJF being a, uh, our scumbag throws dodgeballs at a bunch of little kids. Ha ha, funny bit. I liked it. Then they get their in-ring stuff. Uh, MJF mistakenly thinks that they're about to have a promo battle. I actually think he has a great line that, that Adam Cole is so skinny and ghostly white that Hogan wants to snort him, which I thought was awesome. Uh, then they decided to challenge 
those two fraud nobodies, Aussie Open, uh, for the Ring of Honor tag titles in the pre-show for All In, which is actually very interesting that they're going to be the world champions when they squash those two guys that nobody cares about uh, in the pre-show and then go on to main event. So I think that's pretty interesting. And then you have the stuff with Roddy coming out and you know MJF saying, shake it off, go listen to some Taylor Swift. And Roddy gets you know, uh, consoled by the kingdom. So they're getting brought in for better or worse, but then Adam Cole actually gets hot and you get that glimpse that he might be the guy who turns on MGF, which is what I've been uh, asking for. And he starts poking at MGF and Max has like a angry look on his face. And for as much as I used to gush about the bloodline stuff, I feel like this is my new bloodline because I'm invested in every little like look that people give each other. And I get, I'm reading way too much into it, but if I'm enjoying it, I'm going to talk about it. Uh, I liked this one, but this was probably my least favorite of all of them. Um, And it's for the dumbest reasons that you can imagine. It's because I thought the, no, no, (laughs) Uh, I've come around on Matt Taven. I'm not going to be a Matt Taven hater, but the first thing that I don't think about him anymore is him doing a moonsault onto a 95-year-old George the Animal Steel and almost killing him. Um, (laughs) I I think, you know, he killed Ring of Honor by main eventing their show at Madison Square Garden. But um, I thought the editing on the dodgeball segment was, like, business exposing. Like... (laughs) How so? Like, you um, really want you wanted like more vicious uh, dodgeball hits to the kids, or what? Uh, I think you could have shot MJF throwing the dodgeballs better. I think you could have framed these shots a little bit better. I think you could have like lightly tossed these balls at the kids and maybe sped them up a little bit to make it look like MJF was really drilling the kids. Uh-huh. Um. I just think uh, a different producer, a different editor could have done a little bit more with this. But again, this is this is this is a me specific nitpick. Absolutely nobody else is going to have this sort of mental capacity watching this segment <laughs> other than me because that's just the way my stupid mind works. Okay, like there's people that you would, Adam, you'd be shocked at how many people are like, I can't believe they're doing this to to Roderick Strong. They're ruining <laughs> the greatest wrestler of all time. Now listen. Roderick Strong's a good wrestler, right? Mm. But he's always, like, the other guy in the really good match. You know what I mean? And I'm not taking anything away from him because it takes two to tango, and I've seen a lot of guys who are good to great have shit matches with guys that are good to great, and you just don't have chemistry with people. Now, again, I know it's storyline, but Roddy might really be hurt, and there's a way to keep him in the program. We don't know where the full story is going. Let's let it play out. I'm going to notice something, though, Adam. Maybe... Maybe you didn't notice it, but me and my keen eye uh, noticed this, right? So when Roddy comes out and uh, MJF is cutting his promo on Roddy, and it's a very, uh, a very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's a very cutting promo. It's a very um, direct promo. It's got a lot of spaces in there as, as stating every sentence. Did you hear what the crowd was saying in between every one of... MJF sentences. I heard them saying something, and I thought it was what at first, but I don't think that's what it was. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't what Adam. They were saying yeah, and I don't know if you noticed when MJF came out and uh, Justin Roberts, who has the creepiest shit facial hair I've ever seen in my entire life, 
<laughs> he, he just has like a little rim of hair underneath his bottom lip. He's doing and the reverse Vince. I don't know what the fuck he's doing. But when Justin Roberts announced MJF's name, and you know, MJF, when they say his name, they say the letters MJF. And when they said it, he did like a three fingered point thing that I've never noticed MJF do before. Is MJF a fan? <laughs> Is MJF a fan? Oh, Jesus. Hey, listen, you want a copy from the hottest act in all of professional wrestling, Max, I completely understand. You know, just uh, maybe cut the guy a check. Uh, you know, I think when it comes time for that bidding war of 2024, and they tell him he's going to come in as uh, Max Dupree Jr., L.A. Knight's uh, new manager, eh, maybe you could stay down in uh, Jacksonville with Tony and the other kids, right? <laughs> <sighs> all right, anything else? I do got one last thing, right? Go for now, it. obviously, you're going to tune in to uh, We Need Wrestling, and you're going to hear a much more in-depth uh, discussion, analysis, uh, bitch session in regards to the New Japan G1 Climax. I'm upset that Eddie didn't win. My, I filled up my bracket. I just wrote on four pieces of paper, Eddie wins, and they didn't <laughs> accept it at the office at uh, soon-to-be-named Network North. They told me I wasn't taking things seriously. Um, but Eddie had a great showing. Uh, I, I would say that if you're a fan of Eddie Kingston, if you're a fan of professional wrestling, you, you cannot help but not to be proud of the man. But Adam, I don't know if you got a chance to see the video that New Japan put up on their YouTube channel of Eddie going to, uh, Kenta Kobashi's ramen house, noodle house, and meeting Kenta Kobashi. Oh my God. He was a gushing fanboy, and it was adorable. Yes. Um, so all of this was worth it. Win, lose, draw, whatever it is. Eddie got to spend the last three weeks in Japan, and he got to fanboy out, which again, whatever your opinion of Eddie Kingston is, whatever you think Eddie Kingston is, whoever you think Eddie Kingston is, in his heart, he's just like the rest of us. As I mentioned before, when I watched Eddie interacting with Kenta Kobashi, in my mind, I'm like, if I met Mick Foley, that's how I would be. <laughs> and it's endearing when Eddie Kingston does it. It's <laughs> creepy and weird if I had done it, right? Sure. <laughs> now, I know, uh, the, and then they, you know, then there was the announcement, of course, that uh, Kenta is coming to uh, the States for the first time in like over 30 years. He's going to be part of StarCast alongside All Out. And Eddie is hosting a a one-on-one, -on -one, like he's doing a one-on-one -on -one interview as part of the Starcast events with Kenta Kobashi. Okay. So whether Eddie's on the card or not, okay, whether Eddie wrestles on the the Wembley show, the Chicago show, or whatever, Eddie Kingston is going to be paid money to talk to his idol in front of a packed house of people. That's awesome. He's won. Yeah. I am so happy for my man. Like, and I obviously want a long and successful career, but if he never did anything in wrestling again after this, all of this, he would probably be pumped, you know? Well, <laughs> like, he's, he, he's still got to win the world title, a world title, a title at Arthur Ashe, and then he could be done. Yeah, no, I gotcha. But no, I, I watched that video, and that was just, yeah, that, that was, 
you could tell how genuine that was that this yes. is a man who's like met probably 99% of the, the biggest wrestlers in the world, whatever. But like, he was just such like, he was me in front of Alexa bliss. He was you in front of Mick Foley. You know? Right. Right. But that was awesome. Yeah. So that's what I got. I'm done. Uh, I'm just going to say, I'm going to be very, very quick. I don't know if it's scheduled for rampage or collision, but there's a little mini tournament to decide who the four women to wrestle at Wembley are. And there's a match coming up. It is sky blue versus Soraya. And I just want to say if Soraya wins, we riot. I will fucking get a sheet and I will write it on there and I will hang it from the Manhattan center or whatever building I have to, uh, that fucking waste of fucking roster space. Soraya better not beat sky blue, but it will happen, but I'm going to be mad about it. Joe, I'm going to be real hot. So get the jingle ready for next week. All right. I, I load it every week. Do you want to do it now? Get it out of the way. Cause uh, no, I'll wait because maybe so, Soraya will hurt and get like twist an ankle and somehow lose. But Soraya, Soraya's on the posters that are up all around bus stations and subway stations in the UK. Well, that's just because there's they still in the UK. They play fighting with my family every day. It's oh. like it's like right before the test pattern goes off when the the channels go off the air. They play fighting with my family. Gotcha, gotcha. That's the uh, reason why. Yeah. Speaking of swollen ankles, did you watch the Dark Side of the Ring? <laughs> oh, listen. I can never say my ankle is swollen ever again. Looking at Marty Janet, <laughs> Marty Janetti's goo foot. <laughs> Um, that was horrible to see. Mm-hmm. Now I will ask you, Adam: Is this the sort of episodes of Dark Side of the Ring that you wanted to see? Uh this is veering toward. This is more closer to the episodes that I don't want to see, because okay. again, it's more biographical than one famous incident. Um. But because of the fact that we have a guy who, like, confesses on Facebook to do a murder, and then so you have the, the true crime aspect to it, maybe it's it's a little bit better than just a, a junkyard dog one. You know, because it has that little bit extra uh, question left in the air, you know? But, man, they, they did a good job of making Sean look good in this, I'm just going to say. You know, like, obviously he's not the one who uh, killed somebody and he's the one who, you know, tried to bring Janetti into his ministry. Good guy, Sean, you know, I thought this was a good episode. Uh, again, this one definitely helped for having as much access as they did. Um, you know, the archival footage from the RF shoot interview with Sean. Um, I'm glad they didn't gloss over things to paint a certain narrative. Like they mentioned how many times Marty got fired from WWF. They mentioned, as as you said, Adam, Sean, once Sean, like, himself was saved, mm. that he reached out to Marty and tried to get Marty his job back with WWF. And, and Marty even mentions in this that he almost did, but he broke his probation and got arrested the next day, right? Yeah. And, and there's even another time, either before or after this, where Sean tried again. Um, now, obviously, you know... Sean is a different person. He's saved. He's not that sort of guy anymore. But prior to, you know, 1992, when they do the split with the Rockers, Marty and Sean were the same person doing the same shit. You know, I was trying to find the clip 
of Brutus Beefcake doing like a uh, an interview with Sean Oliver where he was laughing and yucking it up how him, Sean, and Marty used to halcyon girls and rape them and shave their heads and throw them out naked in the hallway at hotels and laughing about it, right? Yeah. And so, I'll just say Brutus Beefcake, of all people, accusing Sean of kissing people's asses. Come on. You made a well, career listen, kissing ass, I, but... <laughs> There's a difference between kissing Vince's ass and kissing Hogan's ass. Eh, not much. <laughs> not much of a difference. Um, but I thought it was really good. I'm glad they didn't gloss over a lot of the stuff. Um, and they kind of preface it at the beginning with that girl who's Marty's friend. And then they show the pictures of when they were first dating. And she looked way too young to be dating a guy like that. But again... I don't know her actual age, and, you know, the statute of limitations is up. But she kind of prefaces all the stories that we're going to hear here that you really can't trust anything that Marty says. Because he's always trying to tell a story, trying to pop the boys, trying to get a rise, trying to get a reaction out of someone. And you really can't believe any of the stuff that he says because he'll just lie about it. So then when they spend, like, the last third of the episode, like, digging in deep to like the one particular Facebook lie about him killing a guy. And then they try to leave it open-ended. Like the cops investigated. There's nothing that matches any missing persons or unsolved crimes from that time frame. but we're still going to end the show of like, did Marty Jannetty really kill someone? And then, like, our our final reliable narrator is notorious lying piece of shit, Al Snow. Eh. Yeah, Al Snow says that Marty told him the story of the the murder, like, back in the 90s. And, like, yeah, I don't believe that. I did love, and just to get back off of, like, the murder thing, but I love the fact that they had actual video footage of him taking the cop's bike and driving it through the hotel into the fountain. Like, that was fucking, I I never saw that before. That was great. Right, like, whose home video was that? Like, I'd love to know. Like, that's the sort of stuff that I like to see, that weirdo footage that they get from people's home and personal collections and stuff. Like, when they did the Bam Bam one and they had all the pictures of, like, him at home with his kids and stuff like that. Really, and the Adrian Adonis one too. You know, like I, I love seeing that sort of stuff. Yeah, no, I like the episode. Maybe it's because, like, whatever. I, I grew up liking the Rockers. They were the one of the few baby faces, at least on screen baby faces, that I liked. And I have fond memories of that coward Marty running away from Sean through the window. Um, so I don't know. I just I liked it. It, it, as I said, it's more towards the type of episode that I don't generally like, but I'll give it a pass just because of all of the, I don't know, just the craziness into it, you know? Right. Uh, so the season's over, a little bit less for us to watch now, but of course, Adam has the homework assignment for this week. Sure do. <laughs> I revealed this uh, last week on Patreon. So Joe already knows he's had a chance to process this a little bit, but our homework for next week will be the 2018, I'll say cult uh, hit, Joe, cult hit, uh, that is Avengers of Justice, Farce Wars, starring the aforementioned Shawn Michaels. Uh, This is available on Freebie and YouTube, and it has an IMDb rating uh, I'm going to say that they were kind of harsh on them uh, without having seen the movie yet, but it's a 2.4 out of 10. 
So. Oh, that's actually higher than I thought. I would have went 1.7. <laughs> but that will be our homework for this coming week. Yeah. And I'll have the links to the YouTube, the freebie, the voodoo, however it is that you're <laughs> going to attempt to watch this thing for free. Um, you know, I, I will recommend this no matter how you're going to watch it. Do so with like an ad blocker on so the people involved in this make zero money from this. Oh, that's harsh. This What happens if you love this movie? Adam, I could go on record and say there's no chance I'm going to love this movie. Um, I might like this is a movie that is a lower budget than those epic movie like big I for, I don't remember the names scary of the people movie. who make those. Yeah, like, like you're scary. scary. Movie. Yeah. And if you listen to my other Patreon show at Longbox Heroes, you'll know there's nothing I love more than a sloppy, lazy cash in parody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Shawn Michaels in this movie plays like some sort of combination like Hulk Yoda thing. I don't fucking Two great tastes that taste great together. I guess. I don't fucking and know. And Amy Smart's in it, too. I would have fired Sean from his job at the PC for being in this movie if I was Triple H. <laughs> so, obviously, everybody that's a patron has that to look forward to, Joe. But we teased it last week. And I think it's time to unveil who the next subject of Conversations with Joe will be. Yes, and this is actually a person who was uh, texting me over the weekend to start setting up the schedule of when we're going to sit down and hammer this one out. And it is former Chikara Grand Champion, former Chikara Grand Slam winner, none other than the Nightmare Warrior himself, Hollow Wicked. That's awesome. I, um, I've known for a while, but it's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um. It's going to be very difficult for me to go through the entire interview without calling him by his real name. Um, it's going to be very difficult. <laughs> um, I have a lot of fun stories. I've even had people like I've like, listen, I don't open these up to questions. Right. Mm. But I've had people reach out to me privately saying, can you ask Hollow Wicked this for me? Can you ask Hollow Wicked this for me? So um, no voicemail for this particular one. No, no voicemail for this particular one. It was okay. it was voice. The reason yeah, we did the voicemail Ed. thing for Ed was because Ed always, is always such a staple of our voicemail. I thought it would be fun to turn the tables on him, and I was kicking the tires on us doing it live in the in the um the Discord. So I'm like, eh, last minute, let's get some calls for Ed. You know, gotcha. Uh, I, I I do have a question for Hollowick. Can I is, can I write it and you can you ask him at, like towards the end though? I can. Awesome. All right. I do have one question. It's very important that it gets asked. All right. And what else do we have coming up on the Patreon over at patreon.com slash at odds wrestling? Uh, well, I will say it just dropped yesterday or the day before there was a new episode of vintage at odds. And this is actually one of my favorite episodes that I've edited of that show, the Patreon show, because it is the one where I tell the very, very complicated and unbelievable story of me going to ECW house of hardcore uh, and it also has you talking about how you almost gave your car to New Jack, which is another great story. So that is available right now on Patreon and coming soon. And by soon, I mean, I think the 21st is when we're recording. 
But Sports Talk will be returning as myself, Marcus, and Brett will be doing our NFL season preview. Mm-hmm. So that'll be available on Patreon as well. If you're a sportsman, then there you go. Yeah, I, I mean, we had a lot of good feedback about the uh, the funeral for the New York Yankees and the Phillies, and the Phillies kicked out at two, two and a half, so they're not quite dead yet, but the Yankees, they're deader than dead. Um, so we're looking to do that for football. We're obviously going to cover our particular teams, because uh, we're all fans of different teams. Uh, I'm going to gush over Kenny Bogod Pickett, and uh, there'll be a lot more on that episode as well. So that'll be coming out, uh, like I said, uh, around the around the 21st. All right. I'm looking forward to it. When does the NFL season start? Uh, not till September. Uh, obviously, we still have the soon-to-be-named Network Fantasy Football Draft. Uh, the first game of the NFL season is September 7th. Uh, so we got about a month. Yeah. A little bit more and- than a month. Yeah, and listen, I, I know it's branded as Longbox Heroes, but we do have the pigskin pickums. If you are not a complete degenerate gambler, it's just a fun way, you know, straight up picks. Uh, the link is on the uh, front page. It's the first uh, article there when you go over to longboxheroes.com. It's over in the Discord a bunch of times. Uh, sign up, have some fun, pick some teams. Uh, you know, and I always say if me who does not watch football or know anything about football beat you in the standings by the end of the season, you have to stop watching football because you don't know anything about football. (laughs) And every single year I start off horrible and then go on a God run and I just have to pass out Todd. And I'm like at least two years consecutive of having a, a better score than Todd. So I'm happy about that. Right. We all, we all have our goals of people that we have to like beat or do better than or otherwise exactly all right uh so hey let's get into some voicemail huh oh yeah let's do it hey there joe and adam if you have a good day here just calling in um not at my usual audio setup because i am out and about on the town um i'm going bowling um had a work conference today started a new job you know all that fun stuff um plus you know gotta celebrate a little bit after uh, putting down um, Rob Van Dam last night. Hmm. All right, going to have a fun time. Going to go bowling, have a couple of beers, have a little bit of fun to celebrate um, with, you know, my banging wife, wife, girlfriend, uh, I forget what. Yeah, but already will. Hoping y'all are having a great time. So, uh, match recommendations for someone that I have not asked about yet um you know what um let's go a little bit uh more old school but you know what uh jake the snake roberts um going through some old dark side of the ring and then i was looking at the grizzly smith documentary so what do you got for jake the snake all right thank you uh, I know he had a great match on Herb Abrams UWF pay-per-view. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> uh, can I just say, and I blame you, Joe, for this, and I'm very, very mad about it. What? When when the other JB was mentioning RVD, all I thought about was RVD. Yeah. Right. RVD's another one. He's a big LA Knight fan. They're uh, contemporaries of age. <laughs> But now I'm like, M-J-F. Yeah, R-V-D. Oh, man, I'm mad. It's taking over the world, baby. 
Jake the Snake Roberts match recommendations, Joe. So this is tough, actually, because as good as a worker as Jake was as getting people back into the like into the buildings, Jake was more a guy about memorable promos and memorable moments more than anything else. A lot of his actually big time matches are snoozers. Um, so I'm going to go. And so and here's another uh, I'm going to go hot take with this. His best opponent was Macho Man. Uh, there's a Saturday night's main event from late 86 where it's a heel versus heel matchup of Jake versus Macho Man. Eh, watch the pre-match promos as well. And then you have the match that takes place at Tuesday in Texas with uh, Jake and Macho Man. And then I think there is a blow-off match on the Fox Saturday night's main event. Those are the three that I would mention. Um he never really got his feet under him in WCW, and that was pretty much the end of his run. Even like the stuff, the little bit of stuff that he did in AAA in like 9495, um, it was more about him being a shitty heel and doing shitty heel things and having a good match. But those are the three that I'll, I'll recommend the three matches that he had, like big time TV pay per view matches with Macho Man. Okay. And I'll just add parenthetically here, uh, other JB, I thought you looked really good in those like pleather black and yellow uh, like pants you had on Dynamite. I thought that was a good look for you. Next time, uh, I say wrap some, you talk to Christian, wrap some like um, gauze around your legs so you fill out those tights a little bit better. <laughs> You're looking a little baggy. I know it's an upper body business, kid, but come on. Oh my God! Can we talk real quick about the Christian promo where he had his daughter there? Yes. That oh, how fucking amazing was that? She wanted to, she wanted to wear the belt, and he's like, "No, you have to win this belt to hold it." Are you, are you the TGF? No, you're not. And security, get her out of here. She doesn't have credentials. I love Christian is so good. I hope Christian gets a match on the Wembley show. Christian is like the best in the world. Oh, just amazing. Like just the heel on your daughter. If that was his daughter, I don't know, but I love that promo. Christian's mm-hmm. the man. All right. Next caller. Thanks for the call. JB. You have no recommendations or Jake the snake. No, he, like you said, he's a promo guy. I have no, like the biggest, the most marquee, Jake Roberts match I can remember is the coal miner on a glove spin the wheel make the deal and it was probably a shitty match but like that's the only match of his that I can like remember like having a build up to and caring about but for no, sure. nothing never enjoying a match you know all right next call hello gentlemen Kevin here uh, so I watched the Undertaker and Mankind sit down and rewatch Hell and Cell like 25 years later whatever it was and uh, there's a very interesting line in it. Uh, they both said that the match is immortal. Not that it's a five-star classic or, you know, whatever rating system you have, but that the match is immortal. And, you know, it's kind of tough to disagree with that. Um, it is a, you know, all-time memorable match. Is it the best wrestled match? Of course not. You know, but for many reasons, yeah, I'll, I'll agree. That is an immortal match. Still got me thinking. I mean, I've sat down and debated with friends over the, you know, best wrestling matches ever, and we're thinking that, that from a, a wrestling standpoint, 
sometimes even the sports entertainment standpoint. But immortal matches, that's something different there. So either of you could pick one or two immortal matches from anywhere. It could be WWE, you know, any promotion, independence, any time frame, just like for some reason, for something that happened in that match, it's just going to live on forever. We can live on forever. If you want the experienced fat ads with wrestling to live on forever, subscribe to the Patreon. There's no homework this week. But Adam posted a vintage ad odds, and there'll be homework next week. There's the plug. Talk to you guys later. <laughs> Appreciate it. Speaking of Mick Foley, cheap plug. Um, I, I'm going to say this. No matter what match Joe mentions, or and I have a couple in a second here as well, um, I think none of them could possibly stand out as much as the the Foley Hell in the Cell because nobody, at least on such a large scale, like on a, or such a large stage of a WWE pay-per-view, has ever so recklessly shown disregard for their own well-being by doing something so god-awfully stupid. And I mean that in the nicest way. You know, you've seen people take giant dives off the Titantron or off of cages onto crash pads or whatever. But, like, the reason that stands out is because of how both of his falls were complete shoots. You know, he wasn't landing on crash pads or 18 collapsible tables to absorb his fall. Like, just the sheer madness of that, that you can look at that and be like, none of that's fake. And uh, so, like, even if I say, like, the first thing that pops into my head as far as a mortal match is, like, you could say Hogan-Andre WrestleMania 3. You know, like, that's something that, like, no matter what, they're always going to show clips of until, like, both of them are long dead. But, like, the Foley Undertaker Hell in the Cell, you're never going to have anything like that, and you should never have anything like that again. I was going to argue and say that it's less the match and more the moment with the Foley uh, Undertaker Hell in the Cell match. Oh, sure, because I don't remember a second of anything other than those two, you know, falls. Right. Now, because I'm a sicko, I could probably recite that thing spot for spot, like moment for moment, right? Yeah. But I'm a sicko. Um, and that's that's what makes a lot of times it, it, a match. A, a match. What makes a match immortal is either multiple moments that happen in the match or a moment or two that are just so inescapable in the world of professional wrestling, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like, just as an example, you know, we played it earlier in the show. Obviously, there's an audio show. But when you see the visual after Hogan beats the Giant for the world title, and he holds up the spray-painted title to the camera and says, like, the NWO is where it's at, right? I'll, that- I'll do you one even... Uh, I'll just interrupt you here. Uh, Hogan turning on, like, coming out and joining the NWO as yeah. being immortal. Like, that's the NWO immortal match. You know? Right. Um, Austin and Brett from WrestleMania 13, right? Mm-hmm. As great as a match as that is, what everyone remembers is Austin bloody passing out in the, the sharpshooter, you know? Yeah. So you pick these moments, and my mind wants to go to a match that's immortal, that sums up whatever that is. Is this the 80s WWF? Is this the 90s WWF? Is this WCW? Is this whatever? And my immortal match is September 1995, ECW, 
Raven and Richards versus the Pitbulls double dog collar match. When if someone came to me who is just getting into wrestling, a lapsed fan, they got into wrestling today. They got into wrestling with the pipe bomb promo. They only grew up watching WWF. They only grew up watching whatever. I've heard of this ECW. What was ECW? And I would show them that match. I'm like, you just have to watch that one match and you will know everything that ECW was. It's yeah. the perfect ECW match. It has everything that you want. Is it an expertly worked match? Absolutely not. Is it something that gets five stars from Dave Meltzer and the Wrestling Observer? No. But there are like 17 moments in that match that are just memorable. It's the perfect like ECW is so good at trying to weave like one segment into another into another. This was the culmination of like three different storylines all weaving into each other. All these great classic moments, and it's the perfect ECW match, and you can't argue with me. <laughs> well, I, I won't dare. All right, next. But do you have one? Do you have a match? Do you have a moment that you would add to the list, or you were just like you well, would mention like WrestleMania three with Hogan and Andre? I said Hogan Andre. I said uh, Hogan joins the NWO. Yeah, the I think that's a good one. Yeah, like I think, like obviously, it was this uh, macho and lax versus the outsiders, and whose side is he on type of thing, you know. So that that's probably the most iconic WCW match of all time, as far as lasting ramifications. Maybe yeah. I don't know, but yeah, those are my picks. All right, thanks for your call, Kev. I'm glad you and Declan had a good weekend. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Kevin. Next call. Hey guys, it's Ben Pasco, and uh, you know we got all in coming out, all out coming up. And the main question I want to ask is: When you were a kid, what was the show you watched that was definitely not meant for you that you were really into? And as an eight-year-old white child uh, from a small town, I don't think Living Single was meant for me, but I loved that show. I love that show, and I do subscribe to the theory it's a better friends. What were the shows you watched that weren't meant for you as a kid and probably were above your level of comprehension, but you thought were rad as hell? Thank you. I'll hang up and listen. Ooh, that's tough. Uh, what do you got, Joe? I'm thinking. Okay, so it's less TV shows because, you know, I, I, again, you have to bear in mind I'm older than pretty much everybody that, that listens to this show, right? Yeah, by um, far. By far. So the thing that I probably watched, not as a like serialized like sitcom or drama or anything else like that, because I grew up and we had HBO, I watched like all the stand-up comedy specials when I was way too young. Like I was watching Eddie Murphy's Delirious when I was seven years old. I was watching the Rodney Dangerfield Young Com- Comedian special when I was just a little kid. Um, then as things would go on into like the late eighties into the early nineties and I'm 11 and 12 and I got the dice special. I got the Sam Kinison special. That's not for someone who's like pre 12 to be watching. Right. Yeah. I shouldn't own the audio and cassettes or CDs of those specials. Right. (laughs) But I did. Yeah, I uh, I was not an HBO comedy special guy, but I used to watch like 
uh, like Annie's evening at the Improv and Caroline's sure. Comedy Hour and that kind of stuff. But I I had the Dice CDs or could probably cassettes um, when I was maybe 13, 14. So, yeah, I shouldn't have had those. Um, I don't think there's any TV that I watched that wasn't age appropriate because I was very much like when I was really young, I was a Transformers, G.I. Joe, Ninja Turtles, and then it became Saved by the Bell and like that kind of stuff. So that always lined up. But I was probably going to see like Van Damme movies way too young, like blood sport in theaters type of deal, you know? So like those things, like maybe like a 12, 13 year old shouldn't be going to see all of those. But like I saw like every Van Damme movie for a long time in theaters. Yeah. So maybe that's the only thing I could think of for that. But yeah, I don't know. Very boring like that. Yeah. But like sitcoms over the air TV, you know, I watch like what was appropriate for my age, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I I, I don't think I was like curious where I was like, oh, I want to watch this thing I shouldn't be watching. I wasn't one of those people, you know? Yeah. Thanks for your call, Ben. Yeah. Next call. Adam, Joe, hey, Kenny, what's up? First time, long time. Anyway, uh, I love when this segment shows up on other shows around the network, be it a We Need Wrestling or a Final Wrestling Place. Well, I saw something this week that really got me real fucking pissed off. Uh-oh. What I'm talking about is this fucking ultimate Rey Mysterio figure, right? I walk down the figure, I walk down the aisle, I see the figure, right? I pick up the figure, and I'm like, I'm not going to drop any dumb nicknames, but I've collected a lot of Rey Mysterio figures over the years. From the Jack era, it was like the only guy I was even buying for a while. So, when I hear about an Ultimate finally coming out of Rey Mysterio, I'm like, fucking sweet, can't wait. Probably never going to come to my shitty Walmart, but whatever. Let's see what happens. So I walk down the aisle, I can see the figure, and I'm like, oh, awesome, it's here. Let me check it out. I pick up the figure, and I look at it. Rey Mysterio wears a mask, right? Okay, cool. So explain to me how the fuck the dipshits and Mattel can get a guy who wears a fucking mask, his head wrong. <laughs> All you need is the bottom chin, and he's got a look on his face like he went to Conan's and hit a three-foot broken fish tank before he fucking went to get scanned at Bill McKenna's house. It's fucking bullshit. And then the other head that this quote-unquote ultimate figure comes with doesn't even have the proper pain application across the mouth and the teeth, so it looks like he's literally got half of one of those Kurt Angle mouthpieces in his mouth, but he never fucking wore one. Completely inaccurate, total bullshit, and this is a $35 action figure. What the actual fuck? <laughs> Thank you. Uh-huh. Get wrecked, boss. I'm looking at a picture of the figure now because I do have that Rey Mysterio. It's not the elusive Eddie Guerrero. We'll get into that later. But I'm looking at it. (laughs) And yeah, he does have like, I mean, it does look like Rey, but it is two very interesting choices for his face. And and listen, I get you. You know, obviously, Rey is a much different figure than who I'm going to mention. Um... And I, my heart goes out to you, Kenny. And, and like Adam said, like, God forbid, like, just be happy that you could even find the Rey Mysterios. Um, you know, the people out there looking for the Eddie Guerreros is another story. Um, but I guess Kenny didn't buy it. Um, but like this week on Hawkins and Broski, um, Broski goes and buries the brother love figure. Right. Yeah. And I got the figure and I love it. Right. 
and it's because it's Brucey. I think the 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 face scan is great. You know, the face. And it's a, uh, the face. <laughs> and then Broski's like, eh, the face is too red. His face was never that red. Brother Love never appeared on TV with his coat closed, and the microphone is too thick. And I'm like, God damn it, Broski, are you making me not like the figure I like? <laughs> You're getting bullied by Broski. Eh, I'm not getting bullied, but he's like pointing out a lot of things that I was willing to ignore because I love my sweet Brucey. Yeah. Well, as Brian said, you're never getting another elite like brother love, so you better learn to love it. You know. Yeah, I guess we get the Rio Rogers figure, maybe. I don't know what that means. <laughs> all right. Well, if it comes up in the uh, this day in wrestling history, we're playing all of his segments, both of them. Oh, jeez. All right. Um. But uh, my my heart goes out to you, Kenny. Again, being a Rey Mysterio guy and having those little those little things be just wrong enough on an Ultimate. Um, I can't imagine there's a perfect figure out there. You know, probably not. No. Yeah. All right. Well, Adam, it's now pink button time. It's time for uh, Young Ed, who called in. All right. Uh, hey, Joan, Adam, it's Ed. A quick question. Um, so I'm reading this news here and it says beginning August 7th Michael Cole and Wade Barrett will serve as the commentators for hashtag WWE Raw signer emoji Cole will also remain on the commentary team for hashtag Smackdown where he will be joined by Kevin Patrick and Corey Graves beginning August 11th this is from Variety so I just have a quick question who the fuck is Kevin Patrick I've never heard of this person in my entire life. Who is this? Okay, bye. That's, uh, is that like the Irish or the British guy that they've had for on Raw the last couple months? The the Irish guy that's been on Raw for like the better part of a year, yes. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't know him by name. I just know like, hey, it's a, it's a United Kingdom guy. I don't even know which accent he had. It's a little I paid attention, but uh, yeah, that's who he is. I do I know. like like him as commentary. Like I don't think he's like anything remarkable. It's not like he's Ian and Nigel McGuinness, you know. But, right. He's he was fine. You know, yeah. he was better than Corey Graves, which is a very low bar to clear. But you know, yeah. I five hours of WWE television a week, and I've watched ten minutes of it, so I don't care who's doing commentary. But he was not objectionable. I think is the best way to put it. Exactly. But that's who that is, Ed. Yeah. It's that guy. All right. So uh, Ed does call back again. Okay. Hey, Joe and Adam. It's Ed. Um, the G1 ended disappointingly for everybody, and I tried to warn you that it would. And no one listens to me ever. I don't know why. I'm almost I always right. And all the things that I think about wrestling are the right things. Uh, including this. Zack Sabre Jr. is very boring. He's a boring, boring little man. Um, and he can't trick me into thinking that he's cool by quoting old punk songs and being a socialist. I can see through that. You're still boring. Worldwide, it does both those things. And worldwide, it is awesome. I love watching Worldwide Wrestle. Zack Sabre Jr. not so much. Very boring. Um... So I was just wondering, is there any wrestler that is like pretty much universally beloved that you can't stand and you're on an island by yourself about how actually fucking bad they are? Because uh, mine is for sure Zack Sabre Jr. I've never enjoyed a Zack Sabre Jr. match. 
unless like like I think he wrestled Ethan Page and Dom both at AIW, and that was I was happy for Dom. It was like one of those situations. Um, but yeah, ZSJ is a very boring man. He works finger joints sometimes. How fucking stupid is that? This isn't a real fight. This is not a real fight. Do cool moves. Do hot moves with a Z. Okay, bye. <laughs> um, well, I'll just say, as the soon-to-be-named network's foremost Japanese wrestling expert, of all of the people that are on the network, Ed is one of the few whose Japanese wrestling recommendations I do take to heart. Like he is somebody that is in the the circle of trust when it comes to that stuff. So I don't want to ever disagree with him when he makes a, a G one take or an N one take. So I just want to say that right there. Um, Joe, before I let you bury somebody, I'm going to say, I'm going to say who my pick is. And I want to preface this by saying, I don't dislike this person. And I think they are a very good wrestler. Like when they, when I, when I have seen this person wrestle, I have not been disappointed by what I see in the ring. So I want to be very clear about that. Like I've like, they generally have one of the better matches on the card, but I'm naming them because I feel like I constantly hear that this person is like one of the three best wrestlers in the world today. And that's speedball Mike Bailey. I think oh, he's okay. very good, but like I keep hearing that like he's like Danielson level of good, and I'm like pump your fucking brakes for a second. He does little karate kicks, and like for that reason, I'm like all right, uh, I'm putting Speedball out there again. Very good wrestler. When I see him wrestle Cheeseburger, uh, it's an amazing match. But like I'm not like, oh my god, he is. Uh, Will Ospreay, he is Danielson, he's Claudio. Like, nah, come on now. Let's 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 settle let's temper our expectations a little bit. So that's my guy. Okay. Now I wasn't gonna go indies, but I was trying to think of someone like on the, the main like two big shows, right? Mm-hmm. And Ed mentioned someone who's skinny, quotes punk lyrics, <laughs> thinks he's a socialist. And everybody loves him, but I hate him. I, I everybody doesn't love him. Everybody does love punk. He's very polarizing. Some people, half the people love him, half the people hate him. You can't pick him. And see, I I'm on an island of my own because I would have to say that my dislike for punk hat like. I dislike punk as a person, uh-huh. as a human being, which makes me not like him as a professional wrestler. But if I didn't have that, I probably would like him as a professional wrestler. Whereas I like, I dislike these two as people, but I also dislike them as professional wrestlers. And I know a lot of people do like them. Not everybody, but a lot. And that would be the Young Bucks. Well, let me ask you this, John. I'm going to stop because obviously we know that you don't like Phil. We know you don't like the Bucks. There's people that you have grudges with, and you'll always have those those you know for the end of time. But to keep it with what Ed was talking about and what I was talking about, is there somebody who you just no matter how many people tell you like this person's good, like you're never going to see them in that light, and and not because of like a backstage grudge that you have. <laughs> Uh, like a personal vendetta a pers- against sure. them. I, mean, I just mean like for me, like again, I got nothing against speedball, but I'm never going to, 
say that 2023 Speedball is one of the greatest wrestlers in the world. And just like Ed won't say that Zack Sabres was like a, one of the greatest wrestlers. Mm-hmm. So somebody like that. Do you have an, a, an example? I'm trying to think. Okay. And this, uh, this may be controversial to you. Okay. Um, Adam Cole. Okay. Adam Cole's just okay. Very average on every aspect of professional wrestling. And I've seen him have really good matches, but there's just something about him. And listen, it has nothing to do with like his, his height or his physique or his tan or whatever it is, but he just never connected with me as a professional wrestler. Sure. No, I get it. That's fine. And that's, that's, I think that's more what Ed was looking for. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Cool. Thanks, Ed. Thanks, Ed. That was Ed's last call. Um, ever? Was that ever or just no? Just, not la- the last oh. call for today. Last call oh, for today. You had, you had me scared there. Like you knew no, someone. No, no, no. Goodness, no. Um, so we hit everything else for the show. Um, oh well, hey, we mentioned the Patreon a bunch of time, but of course the Patreon, patreon.com slash at odds wrestling. Uh, the T Public sale is going on as we speak. Uh, thirty five percent off all the designs inspired by. Uh, at Odds with Wrestling, soon to be named Network, a bunch of the other shows. You can find them there. That's linked up wherever you're finding the show. Uh, of course, Jerry's Internet Wrestling Emporium, IWTV. Use the promo code at odds if you're a new subscriber. It lets Jerry know you came to him from us. And if you keep your subscription, we get a little bit of a kickback. They've been putting out a lot of interesting content, new content, um, you know, giving people their own talk shows, whatever. I think Ed should just like, tape stuff and like i'll give it to jerry when i see him at the bowling alley on thursdays and we'll see what happens yeah i mean if you want to spike those memberships that's that's the way to do it yeah yeah um i would be remiss not to mention coming up here in five weeks is lvac steel stack smackdown 2 uh from the music fest in bethlehem pennsylvania september 16th uh, it is a very busy weekend, but it officially is announced, as we said last week, uh, meet and greet, autograph, what have you, with both Smoke Train Charles Wright, a.k.a. <laughs> Godfather, and the first ever Eurocontinental champion. And yes, Kurt, I do count D'Lo Brown. Um, so come and meet them. Come and see the big show of the year. Um, big show? It, no, not the big show is going to be, but it's the biggest LVAC show of the year. Um, I'm excited. I know there's a lot of other stuff going on that weekend, um, but it's LVAC, man. I'm I'm ready for it. You know? Hell yeah! I bought my ticket. I'll be there. This one, this one, I'll be at Joe. Good, good. <laughs> and uh, last but not least, uh, be sure to make any and all of your purchases through our eBay affiliate link. When you click on links to various merchants on the site and make a purchase, this can result in the site earning a commission. Affiliated programs and affiliations include, but are not limited to, the eBay Partner Network. Yeah. All right, Joe. Well, you know what I else I bought a ticket to? These podcasts. And those podcasts are Longbox Heroes, Longbox Heroes After Dark, We Need Wrestling, Porch Talk, Viewer's Choice, Indie Wrestling Guide, Wings on Wings, Hi, a Bussy, and Final Wrestling Place. I need anabolic steroids from this doctor right now. <laughs> anabolic steroids is a logical next step. 
Uh, and Joe, I just will say very quickly, I will not promote whatever the hell the A show is now. Uh, I learned that they are a Threads exclusive social media thing. So that's that's smart business. And to go along with their Spotify exclusive distribution. Uh, and they still don't have a working RSS feed. So I will not be promoting whatever the new A show is. Good for you. All right. Just making sure that everybody knows. But All right. on to the best part of the show. Some might cost a little. Some might cost a lot. But I'm the $100 Vansky. And your figures will be bought. <laughs> Uh, Joe, I did not set out to have a large week of purchases, but, you know, sometimes things happen, and that's where we're at this week. Uh, So I'm just going to do one or two quick ones, and I'll send it over to you. But I found in the wild the Walmart-exclusive Ruthless Aggression Tori Wilson figure, which was one of the Ruthless Aggressions I was looking for. It's the one where she has a little doggy, and I bought that, and also found some Ruthless Aggressions for Kevin. Um... And I have been in the market for a long time for an Elite 73 Peyton Royce figure uh, because I have the Billy Kay. And believe it or not, like they're not like super expensive figures, but they're, they're not cheap. Like they're usually like 50 bucks on eBay. Uh, somebody in the major group had they were selling a Naomi figure, a Peyton Royce and a Billy Kay. And it was like, hey, it's X amount for one. And if you buy two, it's this much. And if you buy three, it's this much. And I was like, well, I don't need the Naomi. And I was like, if only I knew somebody, maybe like somebody who's nearly seven feet tall, who also has uh, a, a very logical love of Billy Kay. And maybe they would want the Billy Kay figure. Uh, so I reached out to that, that gentleman and uh, wouldn't you know it, he does need a Billy Kay figure. So I ordered the Peyton Royce and the Billy uh, in order to take advantage of like the, the bundle deal. So uh, we both got the figure we needed out of that deal. Good. But what about you, Joe? Did you buy anything? I did, as a matter of fact. So um, as we discussed here and have discussed in the Discord as well, I'm looking forward to the Blue Beetle movie. Right. So you're the one. I'm the one. Listen, Ethan Page went to see a, a sneak preview of it this week, and he said it was fun. So who am I to argue with him, right? Sure. Uh, so they, you know, a lot of these movies now have all the movie theater exclusive stuff, and a lot of the stuff I can hand wave it. A lot of the stuff like uh, you have no choice; you have to get like the branded bucket or the branded cup with whatever movie it is that you're going. But Blue Beetle has like a. T- of extra exclusive merch that you could only get at Cinemark. And that includes like a super de-duper popcorn bucket that's like foil and has like a 3D image of Blue Beetle on it. Then they have a, like a kid's like almost looks like he's like a Funko Pop the cup of the Blue Beetle. And then they have the Blue Beetle bug ship popcorn thing, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, that just looks like a cool toy. Like, Fuck putting popcorn in it. It looks like a cool toy. 
So I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to have to go and see the movie by myself at Cinemark because, like, my my wife ain't going to want to come with me. Ace ain't going to come with me. And I'm like, that's a little bit of a hike just to see a movie when I could just go see it at the dirt mall, the, the dirt theater down by me. Adam was nice enough to share the link that Cinemark had them for sale on their website already in advance. And I'm like, cool, I'll pick it up. And I was literally getting ready to order it, and I was told by another friend of ours that the Cinemark by us already had them out and in stock and selling them. Mm-hmm. So on my way up to the comic book shop this past Wednesday, I did a detour over to the Cinemark, and Adam, wouldn't you know, they're already sold out. Oh, I was about to say like that this sounded like you were getting something that wasn't even street legal and you were going to make out, but... Nope, already sold out. All they have left is one of the popcorn buckets and three of the th cups. That's it. That's all they have left. Did you acquire any of those just in no, case? No, because I only wanted the bug ship. So I went onto the Cinemark website. I ordered the bug ship. I got my shipping confirmation. I ordered it online. It says okay. it's in stock, but I, I can't imagine that you sent it in the Discord over the weekend a friend of mine told me on Monday that he had gone to Cinemark over the weekend and po- purchased it. And then on Wednesday, they were already sold out of the bug ship. They must have gotten like two, maybe yeah, five. Yeah, I can't. It's not like they're going to have pallets of them, you know? Right. But let me ask you this. Uh, assuming that this thing is shipped in a box, which I think it is, what are your plans with it? Are you keeping it in the box? Are you opening it? I got to see what the box looks like. If it's a display enough box, I might. Um, if it's um, like not, if it's just like a generic like brown box, I'm probably going to open it up. Gotcha. So, yeah, I am curious about that, you know, because yeah. I, I, I know a lot of people. Have, there's been a lot of talk. I mentioned this before about like different popcorn gimmicks and whatnot. But I'm always curious what they look like in the box, you know? Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, shout out to patron and friend of the show in our Discord. Uh, I'm not going to do the hard sell about us building a community and helping each other finding figs, but sometimes it happens. But shout out to uh, Shizzling Dritz, a.k.a. Dickman Comedy, a.k.a. Dave Meltzer's Jeans. But uh, he found me the Ruthless Aggression Ultimate Eddie Guerrero. Uh, apparently they just ship pallets of them to his local Walmart because he can't go to Walmart without stumbling on a bunch of them. Well, I went to like 75 Walmarts and never saw a lick of one. Uh, but he got me that and he's going to ship it my way. So I'm happy that, uh, I don't have to go to multiple Walmarts looking for that. Uh, and I just have to keep going to Walmart looking for the RVD and the Brocks that are hitting stores. But, uh, thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Yeah, I've been following your adventures of trying to find that Eddie, and I'm glad that Shizzling Dritz, which is a real <laughs> name, was able to hook you up. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's his Christian name. Yes. Uh, I purchased on what I later learned was the last ever Major Wrestling Figure Podcast Whatnot stream, uh, because they're all going off on their own, doing their own thing, but I bought from Smartmark... Uh, his new business card pin combo because I do collect smart mark uh, pins slash business cards. And uh, he shipped that on Tuesday from from Massachusetts. And uh, obviously we're in Pennsylvania. It is currently in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. So uh, T's and P's, please. <laughs> Thoughts and prayers that that's going to actually come to me. But uh, It wanted to go to the Time Bomb Pro Show tonight. 
<laughs> yeah, that's my, that must be what it is. Yeah. Um, Joe, did you buy anything else? That's it, man. Oh, all right. Well, um, I, you probably saw on Paternia and stuff like that. It's been much talked about, and I might have retweeted it when it first was announced. But uh, Takara, who is the company that does the Japanese Transformers, they are coming out with uh, G1 designed Optimus Prime figures, but they're like fully articulated. And uh, it's called the Missing Link Convoy figure. It's a 40th anniversary Optimus Prime figure. Um, they went up for pre-order on some like import sites earlier in the week. And I was like, uh, kind of want one, but I don't want to buy something in yen from a company I've never heard of. And then, you know, I'll go through all this hoopla. But uh, earlier today, they went up for sale, not only on Big Bad Toy Store, but also Entertainment Earth. So I did the the Entertainment Earth mint guarantee free shipping opportunity. Uh, and I bought the Optimus Prime, the one that comes with the trailer that is based on the uh, 1984 toy. Because there's one of them looks like the the toy Optimus and the other one has a paint job to match the cartoon. And I was like, I'd rather have the one that matches the toy. If that makes that sense. Was gonna be, yeah. That was going to be my question because I did see that there was the difference there. And is this the first in like a new line of like whatever these transformers are? Um, I don't know. I hope not. And I hope so because yeah. I'd love like an, a, a, a G one inspired sound wave. I would buy that. I would probably buy like a, I don't know. I'd buy like a Megatron. Would I buy a Starscream? I, th- it could be a slippery slope. So maybe let's just stick with Optimus. But who knows? Gotcha. But yeah, I bought it on Entertainment Earth. You know, it's free shipping. I can cancel it if I change my mind. They don't charge you until it ships. It's th- the best way to go. You know. Absolutely. Right, I, yeah, but I like I said, you're, you're giving me grief. I, I got a bunch of expenditures coming up next week. It'll, it'll be like, well, yeah, it'll be next week. But yeah. Yeah. Um, one last purchase, and if if you're somebody that gives give old, gives old Vansky grief for his purchases, maybe uh, we bid you adieu. Thank you for listening to At Odds with Wrestling. For Joe, I'm Adam. Have a good night. Uh, for the rest of you uh, who just enjoy a silly little boy doing a silly bit and buying some stuff, uh, that's what this last purchase is. And I will say that in the major pod group, somebody put a card up for sale. And this card, the asking price for this card was maybe like a quarter of their previous sell price on eBay. So I was like, wow, that is very, very cheap. And I screenshotted it. I sent it to uh, somebody who I consult with with card purchases who also happens to be in the know of the pricing of this type of things. And he's also one of the founding members of the Council of Greece. And that person told me, you need to jump on this immediately because that is an absolute steal. Uh, so what do I do? I slide into the seller's DMs and I try to lowball him even further. And I said to the seller, and I'm going to send you the picture in a second of what it is, but I said to the seller, I was like, feel free to tell me to fuck off, but would you take X? And he came back with a, a price that was in between his original asking price and my X offer. And I said, let's do it. And Joe, I am now the proud owner of a one of 25 rookie card. 
All right, that's that's good, right? Right. I'm just texting you a one of twenty five rookie card autographed Tay Conti card. Okay. Oh boy. That's well. First of all, it's Tenyara Conti, whoever yeah. that is. I don't know who yeah. that is. <laughs> um, but it's not just an autograph, Adam. What? No, it's it's got an autograph on it. It's not. It's not just an autograph, Adam. So. Um, so many times there's a running gag here on the Soon to Be Named Network, specifically on the shows that I'm on. When did blank become a business? You <laughs> yeah. know, and it's usually something of like, oh, they've always done this. They've always raked people over the coals for it. People complain about it. Oh, when did cards become a business? When did wrestling become a business? When did dolls become a business? And it's just always been a business. But this particular thing that Adam sent me, uh, just this past week on the Patreon show for Longbox Heroes... Todd and I were able to pinpoint, at least down to the month, August of 1993, when Kiss Cards became a business. <laughs> because there was some penthouse pet who had her own exclusive card set. And one of the things, if you bought, like, the ex- it was randomly packed in with the set, were signed Kiss Cards from whoever, whomever it was. And that would have to be, and listen, if I'm wrong, please correct me. But 19, August of 1993 is the first time that I saw Kiss cards being a premium item for collectibles. So yes, that's that's somebody's that's going to be somebody's mother, Adam. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like again, I, I, it's again, it's a one of twenty five super early Tainara Conti card. Uh, I just could not pass out on the opportunity oh, to get just such a rare autograph and again it's got the kiss thing on there i would have preferred that it wasn't there you know uh-huh. I think that that cheapens it in my eyes but uh I, you gotta take what you gotta take you know and it's just such a rare card if when i i might try to, to smudge that off of there just so that just the autograph is left i was gonna suggest uh, that yeah but uh you know for now I'll just keep it in the case in my detail on the grease shelf until I do what I need to do with re- removing that that lipstick and stuff like that off the ca- the card, you know? Yeah. So is this the first and only kiss card you'll be buying, Adam? It's the first and only. Uh, I okay. will say, uh, just for the bit, just to be a silly little boy, uh, mm. I did look at, uh, and they might have been on my eBay save search for a little while, uh, there were and are some Alexa Bliss kiss cards, but we're talking four figures plus on those. So, like, those, like, uh, we were well past the point where non-Powerball winning Adam can own one of those, so... Uh, uh-huh. So that's not gonna happen. And like I said, Joe, this 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 card was so god ungodly cheap. Uh, bless this seller, because he hooked me up, and he sold that card for way less than he should've. Uh, thank you for the good brother pricing. But, Joe, he also, and I mentioned this in the Discord earlier today, in the listing, he was like, oh, if, you know, any purchases, I'm going to send you extras with your purchase. So I'm thinking, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, go ahead. This is a great story. Go ahead. Yeah. So I'm thinking, oh, he's going to send, like, oh, here's a random, like, broski card or here's a sticker or something like that, you know, which is what you get from everybody whenever you buy stuff and they want to throw in extras. So, I, I completely forget that he's going to send something else, and I, I know that that card is coming in the mail today. And I look on my front porch, and there's a box that's like 
the size of a basketball. Like it's it's a bigger box. It doesn't make any sense for a card. I'm like, all right, whatever. And I open it up, and it still doesn't make sense for what's inside. It's way too big of a box, but it's whatever the guy had, I guess. And he threw in for free with this already steal of a price card, uh, a best of Sting DVD from Impact Wrestling, like TNA, Impact, Global Force, whatever. It's like an older DVD. It's from 2007 or something like that. So I'm like, oh, cool. Like everybody loves Sting. And I'm looking at the back. It's like Sting versus Mick Foley in a cage. And it's like Sting versus everybody, Ric Flair. And it's a bunch of random Sting matches. So I'm like, oh, this is cool. Like it's not like a DVD that I would just throw out or give to somebody else. I'll throw it on the shelf. I'll add it to my collection. So I posted a picture in the Discord, and again, I think it was Kevin Ford. Was like, I think that's like a $100 DVD. Uh, so I looked it up real quick, looked at eBay completed sales, and like they trend between like $70 to $100 for like used completed sales of this DVD. Uh, and like I was like, holy shit. So I immediately I put it up on eBay <laughs> because I'm like, I want it. But not as much as I want, seventy to hundred dollars. Um, and I put it up on eBay, and it's already going for. It's like a, it's got bids at more than I paid for the Tay Conti card. Whew. So like I'm gonna end up getting the Tay Kiss card, uh, which again I don't want the Kiss on there. I just wanted the autograph. Uh, I'm gonna end up getting that for free. If not, I'm, I would have been paid to take that card. Uh huh. Which is just like a perfect storm, you know. So and I'm. I might even watch the DVD before I ship it out, you know, because I start I popped it in to make sure it worked, and I started watching the the Cactus or Mick versus Sting match, and I was like, oh, I might want to go back and watch this. So, um, is this a legit copy? I guess would be the best way to ask. I don't know. Like, it doesn't look like it. It looks legit, but I'm not like. Like the guy that the pawn stars bring in to tell if a freaking coin is real, you know, like, I, yeah, it looks, yeah, I was just it wondering. doesn't look like it's printed badly. It doesn't look like it's like a homemade label on the CD or anything. Yeah, that's what I was wondering if you could tell that, you know? Yeah, I mean, you look at it and it doesn't look like it's like at the gimmick table when they're selling like indie shows, you know, like tape trading. It looks like it's a, a licensed DVD, you know, the doesn't look like a cheap printout. The disc looks fine. You know, it, it. I guess it's real. Like, who, is there a big bootlegging of TNA DVD business? I don't know, but you I know. have no clue. That's that. It's just I'm trying to figure out a way how this guy had this thing, yeah, and he did not know what it was worth, and just threw it in as a freebie to you. And yeah, as soon as sense. you post a picture of it, like Kevin Ford was the first one, but multiple other people were like, "That's a real expensive DVD." Yeah. I, I don't know. Either the guy didn't know what he had or doesn't care or it's a bootleg. But like, I, I don't know. It just looks good. It plays, yeah. you know. Uh, I don't know. But hey, if, if it sells, it sells. You know? Yeah, for sure. For sure. But that's all I got, Joe. All right. Well, listen, that's all. That's plenty. I'd say uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. This was episode 254 of At Odds with Wrestling, of course. We'll have the Patreon homework show next week as we're watching some bullshit Shawn Michaels movie, Avengers of Justice, Farce Wars, 
Uh, but like I said, thank you for your continued support. Any way that you can, sharing the show, anything like that. For Adam, this is Joe saying be safe out there and enjoy some wrestling. You're listening to the soon-to-be-named network, the Lamborghini of Podcast Networks.